Good morning and welcome to worship. We're glad you're here. You stand. Let's sing together. Our God is a glorious, glorious God. Now you better tie on your shoestrings tight because your shoes might fly off in the middle of this song. This is a get up and go song. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Glorious.
Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Manchester. We're so glad that you are here this morning. If you are visiting with us today, there's a, in the pew rack in front of you, there is a guest card. We would love to get your information. We're not going to abuse that information. We just take that information and, and you can put on there like your prayer requests. We pray for over those prayer requests every week. And so please put uh, your name and your information on that. And then uh, at the compl completion of this service, if you'll head this way, up the, up the ramp, there's a welcome center right up there. You can turn in that card right there. There's a box there if you'd rather just drop it in. And, uh, and, and that's all we're asking of you this morning. And so uh, please take advantage of that. At this time, I'm going to invite Mark to come up, and he's got a message from the Pastor Search Committee. Good morning. I am Mark McBride, and I serve as a deacon here and also a member of the lead pastor search team. And it's my distinct pleasure this morning to um, make you aware that today's a special day in our church, if you didn't already know that. We have been so blessed in this location here in Manchester, Tennessee, with leadership. Dr. Cox has been God's shepherd for the last 28 years, and he's retiring next month for any of you who may be here for the first time. And you may not know that information. Last Sunday, I made you aware that the lead pastor search team uh, has a candidate uh, to come and call in view of a call, and I gave you his name. Today, I get to introduce him to you. So I will ask now Brady Martin and his family to join us. Good morning. This is Brady Martin, his wife Jennifer his son Calvin, and his daughter Lucy. And they are a tremendous family. I can't wait for you to get to know them. If you haven't already met them, uh, he wants to meet you today. So please uh, look him up, find him in the hallways, and uh, do that. He will come after our next song, have our sermon. They will then exit, and we will talk about our voting process that will come at that point. So please be in prayer this morning for Pastor Brady. Love this song. God has in store for us great and wonderful things. And all we have to do is believe for it, right? Will you stand and let's sing this together?
stick around for a second. Amy, stick around just for a second. Y'all won't let everybody go down. I want to just sing that chorus again while they're making their way to their seats. Sing it for us, Amy. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us so well this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, will you open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. While you're turning there, I just want to say how thankful I am to your pastor search team. They have represented you so well in this process, and I am so grateful for them. I want to say to you that it is an honor to stand before you today as your lead pastor candidate. I've got the opportunity to meet many of you. Uh, my family, Calvin, Lucy, Jennifer, we've got to meet many of you yesterday and uh, this morning, and we look forward to meeting uh, many more of you today. I'll be in the Welcome Center afterwards if you want to come visit with us. And so I look forward to getting to know you better. But I want you to know that there is something that I can tell very clearly about FBC Manchester. God is up to something here. God is up to something special at FBC Manchester. I currently serve as the lead pastor of Temple Baptist Church in Gainesville, Texas, where I've served for the last six years. And I just want to say a brief word about the church I currently serve in. It is a healthy church with a healthy staff. We don't have problems. We're not running from anything. But what we see here at FBC Manchester is an incredible opportunity for the Lord to do something unique and special in the days ahead. And so we look forward to that. One of the things that I think makes this opportunity so great is that this church has an incredible rich legacy, an incredibly great past. And I want to say real clearly how much I appreciate Dr. Cox and his ministry here. When I met Dr. Cox a few weeks ago, one of the things he tried to do was evangelize me in Georgia football. <laughs> Y'all, he, he started telling me about how Georgia won the last two national championships, and I'm from Arkansas, and so I'm a Razorback fan, and we haven't won a national championship since the 1960s when Jerry Jones was the captain of the football team. I don't have anything to talk about. But I enjoyed meeting Dr. Cox, and I want to tell you his leadership here has been incredible, and that is one of the things that has attracted me to this position was his great leadership and the legacy that this church has. I want you to know that my current church, when I became the pastor, the lead pastor of that church was retiring, and he currently still serves in the church. He's a Sunday school teacher. He preached for me a few weeks ago. It's been a great thing, and I want you to know, and I've told Dr. Cox this, and I want you all to hear this up front from me. It is my hope and prayer that Dr. Cox, after he takes his time in retirement for whatever period he needs away, will come back and serve at FBC Manchester in whatever way the Lord sees fit. Our church, or FBC Manchester, will be stronger with Dr. Cox in it in its future. And I just think that's an important thing, and so I want you all to hear that from me up front. This church has a rich legacy of biblical preaching, missions involvement, discipleship, and so much more. So, I stand before you willing to leave the great Republic of Texas. Why? 
Because I believe as incredible as the past has been at FBC Manchester, the future can be even brighter. I believe the tomorrow of this church can be even brighter than it's yesterday. But that's not guaranteed. You see, an institution can have a rich legacy, but not experience a bright future. You see, some institutions, you, some, have you ever been there? You say, man, that place has seen better days. It is my prayer for FBC Manchester that the better days are yet to come. And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage where Paul is going to address this very topic. How does a church have a bright future? How does a church have a bright future? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Let us read the text together. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a word from the Apostle Paul here. And before we dive into it, I want to I tell you a little bit about me. I, I grew up in Arkansas, as I said, and um, as I grew up in Arkansas, one of the things that really hit home is when these jokes came out by Jeff Foxworthy. Do y'all remember the jokes by Jeff Foxworthy? That you might be a redneck joke? Being from Arkansas, those just hit close to home, right? And they, he would have jokes like, you might be a redneck if, like, you might be a redneck if beef jerky and moon pies were your two major food groups. You might be a redneck if the dog catcher has to call for backup when he comes to visit your house. Or you might be a redneck, now y'all don't tell if y'all have done this, but you might be a redneck if you've ever shot a deer from inside your house. <laughs> you know, Jeff Foxworthy was on to something there. What he was saying, and the reason the jokes worked, was he was saying, you might be a redneck if these qualities were true about you. He was saying, if you have these marks, these, then you might be a redneck. And this morning, what I want you to see, that in this text, what the Apostle Paul is doing, is he's saying, you might be a church with an incredibly bright future if, you have these four qualities. These four qualities we see in this text. And we'll begin by looking at, at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We notice the first mark in that verse. If you want to be a church with a bright future, you have to be a church that never gives up. You have to be a church that does not give up. You see, people were critical of Paul's ministry in the Corinthian church here. They were, they were being criticized because their ministry wasn't successful enough. There were false teachers who had begun to twist God's word and come in and tried to manipulate people away from the truth. People who had attended this church in Corinth had begun to leave the church and go to the false teachers. And so critics were saying to the church, well, Paul, is your ministry that successful if people are leaving, if uh, people are going to these false teachers. Maybe something's wrong with that church there at Corinth. And they were discouraged. 
They were ready to throw in the towel. But Paul says to them, he reminds them, he says, listen, when you go through hard times as a church and hard times come, you must never give up. And here's why, he says. Notice in verse 1 what he says. He says, you do not lose heart. Why? Because it is Jesus who has given you this ministry. You didn't get this ministry for yourself. It wasn't given. It was given to you by the mercy of God. And because Jesus has given you this ministry, you do not give up in hard times. This verse was really important to me during the pandemic. What a challenging time for us all. Every pastor overnight became a televangelist. Every worship leader a video producer. It was hard. We didn't get to see the people we were called to care for. It was, it was a uniquely challenging time. But during that time, one of the things we had to remember as ministers, we do not lose heart. Why? Because it is Jesus who has given us this ministry by the mercy of God. If you call me as your pastor and the Lord leads us here, I want you to know I can't tell you what's going to come over the next 25 years. I could have never predicted the pandemic. I couldn't have predicted some of the issues we face today. And I don't know what will come in the next 25 years. But FBC Manchester, we will not give up because Jesus Christ from the throne in heaven has given us this ministry. So the first mark is a church that does not give up. Let's look at verse 2 and we will begin to see our second mark. Verse 2 says, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The second thing we notice here is a church with a bright future proclaims the Bible. A church with a bright future proclaims the Bible. That's what Paul is saying here. There were false, false teachers and charlatans going around trying to gain a following by manipulating people and compromising the truth. Paul says, that's not how we do things, church at Corinth. There may be people going around, and they're teaching all kinds of things, and they're manipulating people. You know, I went to seminary in Kentucky, and one of the things, I, I was working on my doctoral work there um, in expository preaching there at seminary, and we had some guys from East Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. Any of y'all ever been to Eastern Kentucky? That's a different place. And they, and they came in, and we were all talking about the problems and different things our church has struggled with. And one, one guy said, well, one of our problems is we have a bunch of snake handlers who've come into town. I said, well, that's different than what I'm facing in Texas, right? But this was the kind of thing. Somebody with a show had come into town and been attracting people. They had been uh, twisting God's word. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not how we do it. Instead, we openly proclaim God's word, and we believe it is God's word that people need, and it's God's word that will change people. We need God's word, and we need to proclaim the Bible. But the interesting thing is we live in a world that is increasingly biblically illiterate. The world increasingly does not know the Bible. In the article entitled, The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy, Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, writes, fewer than half of all adults in America can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to Barna Research, 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 
Al Mohler says, no wonder we are good at breaking the Ten Commandments. We didn't know them in the first place. 12%. And listen, I know it's only 12%, but listen, it's 12%. 12% of Americans believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. I want you to know, I look across this room, that's one in ten of you this morning, all right? (laughs) These wives just start nudging their husbands. Another survey of graduating high school students said that 50% of high school students believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were a married couple. Now, Muller, he says this, he says, how can a generation be biblically shaped in its understanding of human sexuality when it believes Sodom and Gomorrah were a married couple who lived happily ever after. We have a problem in our country of biblical illiteracy. And churches must step into that problem. If you ask me what are some of the biggest problems we will face over the next 25 years as a church, is the increasing biblical illiteracy of our world. And we as a church must step into that gap and help people know the Bible well. You see, churches can respond in one of two ways to this biblical illiteracy problem. Either you can take an approach where you say, well, we're just going to water down the Bible because people don't know it anyways. We're just going to sideline the Bible from our ministries because people aren't that interested in the Bible. But that's the wrong approach. The right approach is to say, we want to be a church that proclaims the Bible from the nursery to the nursing home in all of its beauty, all of its power, all of its authority, and we want to do it in a way that everyone from seven years old to 77 year old can understand the Bible, to know it, and to be able to share it with others. You see, we want to be a church that proclaims the Bible well. Colossians 1.28 says this, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, and catch this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the calling. Everyone mature in Christ. That means we all have room to grow in understanding the depths of God's word. A few years ago, Jennifer and I went on our 10th anniversary trip to Hawaii, and we were there, and we were looking for things to do, and um, have you ever stood at the brochure counter at the hotel? That's what I was doing. And I, I saw this brochure for submarine ride, right? Submarine ride. I thought, she won't want to do this. But I'm taking it up to the room anyways. We get up there. She says, sure, let's go. So we signed up for the submarine ride. And I don't know what I thought. I guess I thought the submarine was going to come pick us up at the dock. I don't know what I thought. But we get on a boat, and we go out a few miles into the ocean, and as I looked off out of that boat, I'm thinking, where's the submarine coming from? You know, it's the most beautiful water, blue water you can just see, incredible. Waikiki Beach in the background. And all of a sudden, where does the submarine come from? From underneath the water, it just surfaces. And then I realized, we've got to transfer from the boat to the submarine in the middle of the ocean. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what you have to do. And so we, we crossed over into the submarine, and we go down into the submarine, and we sit down, and I notice instantly, there in the submarine, we're about 10 feet down, and I look out into the water. It's clear under the surface. The water is more beautiful, even what I saw from on top. And I looked out, and I mean, it was incredible what I could see. And we would go down 10 feet at a time, 10 feet, 10 feet, 10 feet, until we got to 100 feet below the surface. We were 100 feet below the surface. It was incredible. 
the water was so much clearer even there than on the top. We could see more than we could have ever seen from the top. We could see more things. We could see coral. They had sunk in a ship down there where you could see that. Um, you could see all kinds of fish. Even a shark swam by our submarine while we were down there. It's incredible. You could see so many things that you couldn't have seen from the surface. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's like with God's Word. The deeper we go, the more beautiful it becomes. The deeper we go, the more clearly we can see. The deeper we go, there's more to see. So when you go deeper into God's Word, what you see is there are things that you never saw before. So one of the things I believe in a biblically illiterate world, what we need are biblically deep Christians who know and love God's word and can then say, listen, guys, I've been down to the bottom. I've seen the coral. I've seen the the sharks. I've seen all of these things. You've got to come and see it too. In a biblically illiterate world, we need a church that holds to the inerrancy, infallibility, and inspiration of the Bible We need to be a church that proclaims the Bible from the nursery to the nursing home. A church with a bright future will teach the Word of God. We see then in verse 3, our third mark. Let's look at verse 3 together. Verse 3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds, that's the devil, Uh, who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we see our third mark in this verse. A church with a bright future loves lost people. A church with a bright future loves lost people. Now you notice what's going on in this verse is people are critical of Paul and his ministry because when Paul preaches, not everyone is believing the gospel. Paul is preaching and and not everyone is coming to know Christ and they say, well, there must be something wrong with you. The charlatans, they get everybody. The charlatans get all of the people to come down. What's going on, Paul? Paul is saying, well, listen, the God of this world is blinding them. The devil is blinding people. It's not that the gospel is failing. And this is an important point for us to realize. Lost people, hear me clearly, lost people are not our enemy. Lost people are not our enemy, they are our mission field. They are our mission field. There's a great song by Keith and Kristen Getty called, O Church Arise. And in this song, it has this beautiful lyric. It says, our call to war, to love the captive soul, and to rage against her captor. Now think about that for a moment. We are called to love the captive soul, to love lost people, but to rage against her captor. Who is our enemy? It is not lost people, but it's the one who is blinding them. This passage is calling us to be a church that loves lost people. We know the importance of this because we have family members. I would wager that every person in this room has a family member who does not know Christ. We want to love them with the love of Christ that they may come to know Christ one day. And one of the things that I think is so clear is if you want to be a church with a bright future, you've got to love lost people. But but here's the thing. You can't just love them in general. You've got to love them enough to share the gospel with them. You've got to love them enough to share the good news of Jesus with them. One of the things that we do at our church is we regularly teach through different doctrines of the Christian faith, and last week I was actually teaching on the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ, which simply means that Jesus is the only way to be saved. 
John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So hear me clearly. There is no other way to be saved than by believing in Jesus Christ. He's the only way any, any of us can be saved. But you say, Pastor, but isn't that, is it unloving to tell people of other faiths and people who do not know Christ that they are going to spend eternity separated from God in hell? Isn't that unloving? Well, I say, well, I understand the question, but I don't think it's unloving to tell someone that. Let me explain why. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Let's imagine, let's imagine for a moment that a family here is getting ready to go to Disney World. And they're getting ready to go to Disney World and they go to Nashville to get on the airplane. But when they get there, their phone's not working and those screens up there when you go in that tell you which gate your plane's at, they're all broken that day. So you go up to the counter and you say, you say to the lady at the counter, you say, listen, I don't know which gate it is to get me to Disney World. My kids are really excited to go to the Magic Kingdom. Uh, we, we really gotta get there. And wh which plane takes us to Orlando? And she looks at you and says, well, take whichever plane you want. You can take whatever plane. It doesn't matter. Just get on any one of them. A4, B12, just get on any of them. It'll all work out. Is that very loving? Not when you end up in Alabama instead of Disney World. But what if I were there and I had a book that actually told me where every plane was and every gate was what if i actually had the book that told me that the way to orlando was actually b4 and that they needed to go to gate b4 what's the loving thing to do is it to sit and be silent or is the loving thing to do to go to people who are lost and confused and tell them the only way to get to the kingdom is to go to the gate and the only gate is the one who has declared himself to be the way the truth and the life and that there's no way to the kingdom except through him you see, we must be a church that loves lost people enough to tell them that there's only one way to be saved, and that is through the name of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. We also get to tell them that he's paid for their ticket. He's paid for their ticket. And that anyone who's willing to come can have a seat on that plane. We must love lost people enough to share the gospel with them. A church with a bright future never gives up. A church with a bright future proclaims the word. And a church with a bright future loves lost people. Let's see our fourth mark in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Our fourth mark is a church with a bright future is focused on Jesus. It's focused on Jesus. Paul says, we don't go around preaching ourselves. It's not about us. If this church is going to have a bright future, her focus cannot be on FBC Manchester. Her focus must be on Jesus Christ. You see, if FBC Manchester wants to make her name great, FBC Manchester can make her name great. But if FBC Manchester wants to have a bright future for the kingdom of God, FBC Manchester's goal must be to put the focus on Jesus Christ. When I was a teenager, my dad was a teacher, and we decided to pick up some odd jobs to make some money in the summer. 
and we got signed up to run spotlights for a local artist, a guy from Arkansas that I'd never heard of him, and so my dad got us signed up to run spotlights for this, for this show. I said, no big deal, I can run a spotlight. I mean, how hard can it be, right, to run a spotlight? Well, um, I get there, and I find out the artist's name, his name was Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Other people had apparently heard of him, I hadn't. And so I climb up this 25-foot uh, ladder and get up in this place where I'm going to run the spotlight. They hand me a headset, and I put the headset on, and um, I'm going to run this spotlight. Okay, I do my best. We get going. I'm, I'm, I'm following them pretty good. But, but honestly, it was kind of hard to kind of figure it out, and I, I wasn't the greatest at keeping the spotlight on Glenn Campbell. And what I didn't know was that between songs, Glenn Campbell could come and speak in a different microphone that went to the sound guys and went to the lighting guys. And the next thing I know, I have Glenn Campbell in my ear telling me, uh, hey, guys, can y'all keep the spotlight on me? You see, I, I'd actually got the spotlight in the wrong place. You see, as a church, we can do that from time to time. We can get the spotlight on us. But what Paul is telling us, if we want to be a church with a bright future, our spotlight must be on Jesus Christ. In the kids' ministry, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In the student ministry, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In our young adult ministry, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In our senior adult ministry, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In our grief care ministry, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In our premarital counseling, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. In our worship music, where's the spotlight? Jesus Christ. If we want to be a church with a bright future, the spotlight must be on Jesus Christ in everything that we do. A church with a bright future focuses on Jesus. And then Paul concludes in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice that phrase there, let light shine out of darkness. What's going on in that verse is he's referencing creation. When God created what theologians call Creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, that God created light from nothing. He's referencing, he says, before, when there was a time before light had ever been, when no one had ever seen the color blue, or when no one had ever seen the color of Tennessee volunteer orange, <laughs> before had anyone had ever seen that, there was no light, there was no color. God spoke. And light came from darkness. And what does he say in this verse? He says, the one who has spoken light out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light. He has spoken light, that same light that he spoke into existence. He has spoken it into our hearts. Now, he didn't speak Tennessee orange into my heart. I know that. But he spoke the light of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It's incredible. What it means is, you remember in the Old Testament, constantly God tells us to seek his face. But do you know how hard it is for the people of God to seek the face of God when they have never seen the face of God? In all of the Old Testament, they had not seen the face of God, but they're commanded to seek it. But what happened in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? When Jesus came, the face of God was revealed. And so what Paul is saying here is he says, God has shy, shown into our hearts the light 
that he used in creation. He has brightened it up. Because remember what had happened. What did he say earlier? The devil had what? Blinded us. But though the devil may have the ability to blind us, he doesn't have anything when God decides to show up and shine his light into the darkness. And so he shines into the darkness, and he gives us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's telling us where the spotlight must be. We must continually look to the face of Jesus Christ. If we want to be a church with a bright future, we must keep the spotlight on Jesus, but we must know what he looks like. We must see his face and seek his face. You can see his face as the prince of heaven came down and was born not in a palace, but in a manger. You can see his face as he's a young man going to the temple, and you can see the wisdom as he teaches men three times his age at the temple. You can see his face as he grows up as a carpenter, submitting to his, his earthly father, Joseph. You can see his face as he begins his ministry. You can see power as he casts out demons. You can see his face as he has the power to heal the sick, feed the thousands. You can see his face where it's filled with compassion as he reaches out to the broken and the outcast. And you can see his love for us. This morning, Christian, can you see the love of God for you in the face of Jesus Christ as he goes up the hill of Calvary? with determination in his eyes, passion. And he knows what's ahead of him, but he goes to the cross knowing the prize that is you and me. And he goes up to Calvary. Can you see his face as he is nailed to the tree, as the crown of thorns is placed upon his head? Can you see his face as the nails are driven through his hands? And can you see his face as he cries out, it is finished. Can you see his face as he breathes his last breath? Can you see his face as he's being taken down off the cross and placed in that borrowed tomb? See, he says the glory of God has been revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that's not where the story ends. You see, can you see his face that first Easter morning as his face was in the tomb and his eyes began to move? and air came out of his mouth. And as he sat up and he walked out of that tomb victorious over sin, death, and Satan once and for all, can you see the face as he walked out of that tomb victorious over the biggest enemies we will ever face? Can you see his face as he goes and teaches the disciples? Can you see his face as he ascends to the heavens? Can you see his face right now where he sits at the right hand of God Almighty where he promises to do something incredible and that is build his church? If we keep the spotlight on Jesus Christ, we will be a church with a bright future. And you know, as I think about it, why do I ultimately believe that FBC Manchester can have a bright future, equal to her past or even brighter? Why do I believe that? I believe that because there is an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that has no body in it. But there is a throne in heaven that has somebody on it. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if we will keep the spotlight on him, the future for FBC Manchester will be incredibly bright.
So if you want to be a church with a bright future, I want to tell you four things. Don't give up, even when things are hard. Always proclaim the Bible from the nursery to the nursing home. Love lost people. They're not the enemy, but let's love them enough to share the good news of Jesus with them. And lastly, keep the spotlight and focus on Jesus Christ. And if you will do that, this church will have an incredibly bright future. And anyone would want to be drawn to a church like that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word and how you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for FBC Manchester to always be a church that never gives up, that proclaims the word of God, that loves lost people, and keeps their focus on Jesus Christ. Father, I know that is the way that your word has told us to have a bright future. May that be true here and in the days ahead. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. This is kind of a new one for us.
us lying inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy Lift up your song. You got a line inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shouty. Lift up your song. You got a line inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the start out by praying our gracious Heavenly Father what a wonderful day of worship we've already had and we pray for that to continue in our connection group time and also in our uh, other two worship services thank you Lord for um, bringing Brady to us this morning thank you for his words thank you for the truth of your message and now Lord as we uh, do the work that you've called us to do. We just pray that your will will be done in everything we do in the voting process. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you will, uh, raise your hand if you don't have a ballot, and our ushers will get you a ballot. Worship team, we will get you ballots here in just a minute and collect your ballots. Everyone needs a ballot. In your uh, bulletin, there is the ballot. I've already dropped mine. So you'll notice on one side it says ballot. We need you to sign your name there and print your name. And the reason for that is simply to verify membership. You have to be a member of First Baptist Church in order to vote in the process. And also to verify the, that you don't vote more than once. Um, our bylaws are very strict and we're trying to follow those as close as we can. As you note, they been prepared in such a way that you will vote on the other side. Our counting team is made up of members from our personnel committee, our stewardship committee, and one of our uh, staff members will be in charge of verifying the membership. They'll do that by looking at one side of the ballot and then as they count the ballots they do not see names. So that will be kept anonymously. So if you will take your ballots Go ahead and mark those, 
And as you complete those, fold them with your name on the outside and pass those to one of the two center aisles. And we also have um, folks in the balcony there that will collect your ballots. So just the process with our bylaws, it will take a affirmative vote of 75% or more to call Brady Martin as our next pastor. The results will be in our newsletter this week. Does everyone have a ballot? Anyone need anything? Greg, we have some up here of the worship team if you want to come collect those. Any others behind me? We'll also be collecting them from the parlor and other areas of the church. Daniel? I believe it's yours. Well, an exciting day this morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us. I want to just, before we go, I want to make you aware of tonight, uh, our baptism, outdoor lake baptism. Uh, there's directions at the Welcome Center on how to get there. It's the, uh, I'm going to butcher it. It's a, it's a lake. Uh, the, 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 name, the name has two different things. There's a, there's a reservoir in there. I don't know. Crockett Cove at Woods Reservoir. There we go. I like it. All right. Uh, I'm geographically challenged in this area. so. Uh, but we'll be out there. It's exciting. This is, uh, we're, we're, it's an we're, Alabama thing. Probably. <laughs> Sorry, Coming from I the guy to. who can't remember what my job title is around here. <laughs> uh, so anyway. But... Uh, uh, tonight, we're baptizing folks. We're going to baptize uh, 20 or more people out at the lake. So that's an exciting time. It's probably, Dr. Cox was saying, yeah, amen. Uh, Dr. Cox was uh, saying that this is probably the, one of the largest baptisms we've had in the history of the church by his recollection and understanding. So uh, we're excited of that. We're going to have a little uh, picnic, hot dogs, chips, cookies, and drinks out there. So uh, hopefully you'll join us. And we'll celebrate baptism with the, with the folks out there. Uh, thank you for your participation in what God is doing in our church with your voting. Uh, and we're, we look forward to see how God leads in that. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you so much just to be a part of a church family that has uh, had a wonderful past, but looking to a bright future, God. And I pray that uh, your hand would be in all of who we are and what we're doing and, and that we would focus on you, that we would claim your word, that we would love lost people, and that we would just venture forward uh, in your love and grace and mercy and vision and purpose for your kingdom, for your glory, God. So um, we are, again, thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this congregation.
this work that you're doing. We're, we're grateful to be just called your children by the blood of Jesus, God, and, and his, his resurrection. So uh, we just uh, have full hearts of gratitude uh, and looking forward to the future uh, and what you're going to do. Uh, thank you for leading us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for being our Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh.